Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the Big Honker Podcast. This show is brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. Love my dive bombs. You might as well go get the best silhouette that's on the market today. Those days that you got to walk your shit into to the spread, you can't beat silhouettes. They stack up like a dream. They pack up nice. The bags are awesome. The paint scheme is unmatched. Get the ones with the flocked heads. You're in the money then. So go to divebombindustries.com today. The season's here. You need silhouettes. You might as well have the best that are on the market today. Go to divebombindustries.com. Get what you need. And we would like to thank our newest sponsor, Boss Shot Shells. They are changing the shotgun shell landscape forever. No more big box stores. Boss Shot Shells sells directly to you. You order from them. It goes right to your door. No more middleman. They're changing the game. And they're delivering a premium load. They really do. They blow the best load. Best load in the business. So go to BossShotShells.com today. Get what you need for the season that's here. Or if you're wanting something custom, call them up. They'll make you whatever you want within reason. So BossShotShells.com. Get your shotgun shells for this season and just crush those birds. No more uh, wounding birds or having them fly off with crippled wings. Boss Shot Shell puts them down and puts them down good. So. Go to BossShotShells.com now. The Big Honker Podcast is brought to you by 737 Duck Calls. Folks, the season's right around the corner. If you're in the market for a new call, then look no further. Go down to www.737DuckCalls.com and use promo code HONKER at checkout for 15% off your order. What more could you ask for? Couldn't be simpler. Log on your computer, go to their website, make your order, and there it is, right to your door in a few days. It's the best. I love it www.737duckcalls.com promo code honker go order something and go check out our sponsor sea light leds and at sealightleds.com and use coupon code big honker 10 for 10 percent off all purchases folks all of our trailers all of our trucks we're gonna have a video out pretty soon on wiring a trailer have ed is going to take care of all the wiring we're going to wire a trailer from start to finish we're going to have a video out on YouTube on our channel. It's going to show you how to do it. Go to sealightleds.com and make a difference in the morning because there's nothing worse than going through a field. Dark, you can't see nothing. You open up your trailer, you can't see your damn decoys in it. You can flip one switch on, you can light up the whole field. You don't have to worry about your headlamps and running out of batteries and shit, driving down the road with your dang headlamp on and forgetting about it. Anyways, go to sealightleds.com and check out the lights that light up Stanfield Hanging Outfitters in the Big Honker Lodge. The Big Honker Podcast is brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, home of the Big Honker Lodge. We are located in Knox City, Texas. That's www.stanfieldhunting.com. Been in business for over 25 years. We put them in your face. Ducks, geese, dove, whatever you want to shoot, give us a call at stanfieldhunting.com, 940-658-3172. And we have some November goose specials. I got some October pheasant and dove special. Give me a holler at stanfieldhunting.com. I'd like to thank Big Honker Podcast, William Chris Wines. That's William Chris Vineyards out of High Texas. Folks, if you need that wine for that special occasion, it's wedding season coming along. Zach's getting married first weekend in November. He needs to go to William Chris Wines and William Chris Vineyards and WilliamChrisWines.com. You can get a case of wine sent to you for $1. Go to promo code HONKER, H-O-N-K-E-R, coupon code for WilliamChrisVineyards.com. You can find William Chris Vineyards or William Chris Wines at Bucky's General Foods, and most other high-end retail outlets for wine. And that's WilliamChrisVineyards.com, home of Sway Rosé. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Garrison Brothers Bourbon. 
Yes, folks, Texas bourbon, the best bourbon in the United States, made in Texas, right there in high Texas. Check out garrisonbrothers.com and go get you a, a bottle of the best bourbon you can have. Folks, we're not talking about $20 bourbon. We're talking about boutique bourbon, the best bourbon there is in the country, right here made in Texas for everyone in America. Not everybody's lucky enough to be born in Texas or live in Texas, but you can all enjoy a nice glass of Texas bourbon. That's garrisonbrothers.com. And let them know the people from the Big Honker Podcast sent you. All right, this episode of the podcast, Jeff and I talk about some questions that you need to ask before you book your next hunt. You're not booking a hunt with us necessarily, but just if you're in the market for booking a hunt or your next outdoor adventure, we give you a list of questions and topics that you need to kind of, wherever you're going, you need to talk to the guy running the place and kind of make sure that your money is going to be well spent. We also talk about the current controversy going on with the gentleman shooting the Baboons in Africa, we give you our take on that, and uh, yeah, just kind of the normal shenanigans. So anyway, hope you enjoy it. Podcast sponsored by Dive Bomb Industries at the Big Honker Lodge in Knoxie, Texas. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I'm Andy Shaver. Hope everybody's having a great, great day, week. Friday, start of the weekend. Yep. You ready for that weekend? A lot of guys going to be duck hunting. A lot of places open this weekend. We are one week away still. October 27th, we start. Has to be the coldest week of October that we've had ever that I can remember. Yeah, it's been chilly. Chilly and wet. I mean, it is Thursday. I don't think we've seen 70 degrees this week, which is unusual for us this time of year. I don't think we've seen the sun. We haven't seen the sun very much. If we have, it's been in the anywhere from 38 to 45 for a low about every morning. We had a north wind for basically three days in a row. We're covered with ducks. we got lots of geese, more geese coming in every day. I saw cranes on wheat, sandhill cranes on a wheat field right here by the lodge. Just to go ahead and seen them all year. And it freaking rained again today for the 57th day in a row. Keep trying to do, got to do duck blinds, and that keeps getting pushed back. Yep. Somebody don't want to get wet. It ain't a matter of getting wet. It's a matter of getting in. Mm. Hmm. Speaking of that, didn't you and Zach go, go check out a little water hole this week that we have? Yes. Okay, folks, did. I want to set the stage before you give, I'm going to let you give your rebuttal on this, okay? <laughs> we have a place that has, I'm guessing it's probably 50 acres of salt cedars. I don't know how big it is. It's big. It's an awesome duck hole. has a lot of uh, vegetation in it. And it's like, it's timber hunting West Texas style, basically, is what it is. Well, Andy and Zach decided to go over during the tsunami the other day and go over and go scout out a hole. And there's some holes in it. We got to go in there with the chainsaw and we got to cut trees down to get to it, correct? Correct. And on your trip over there, y'all walked in, correct? Correct. And then y'all got lost. Correct. Now, how do you get lost in a 50-acre patch 
Now, now, let me set the stage. Folks, we have a north wind of 15 to 20 miles an hour. We have a highway next to it that you can hear traffic going that's a quarter of a mile, half a mile away all the time. Correct? Correct. Okay, so explain to me how you got lost in this place. <clears throat> so nobody's been in this place since 2000. Or at least I haven't. Um, and I'd only been in there one other time. We pig hunt on it all the time. We pig hunt on the outside of it. Yes. It's a, the trees are surrounded by a wheat field, and that's where we pig hunt. There are no trails cut in this place, only places where pigs walk through. So openings are waist high because that's where the pigs have hit the trees, and the trees, uh, it's open about your waist, but where your eyes are, it grows you know, in front of you like your hands were to go together. So you're constantly bending over to go through little passages. You're constantly closing your eyes so that you don't get a stick, you know, gouging your eyeballs out. So we take off walking, and we finally find water, and then we try to find the big open holes. Like I said, I've, I hadn't been in there since 2003, so um, I've, I have forgotten a lot of shit since then. So we get in there. We, we finally find the big water. Now it's time to get out. So, you know, we've been tromping around in there for 30, 45 minutes. There's no sun. The trees are up high enough to where it's blocking the wind. So all we can hear is the highway. Well, the highway that Jeff is talking about does not run north and south. It kind of runs, uh, there's a bend in it, so it goes southeast to northwest. What the fuck are you talking about? It runs north to south. No, it doesn't. It's 40 acres of water, Andy. It's not a quarter of a mile long. It's not like there's a big event in that big. The highway is 75 miles an hour, right? What? The highway is 75 miles an hour. Yes, correct. Okay, you act like it's got a chicane in it in a damn Grand Prix race. What's a chicane? A, a turn, just a little turn deal. There, it, it's, like got a, it's got a natural bend to it. So <laughs> shit. When we can finally see what we're doing, we can finally see the telephone poles, and we start <laughs> walking away from the telephone poles that are on the highway. And then... Uh, couple more jogs uh avoid the fire ants and somehow we're running parallel to the highway again so um we turn around three different times walk walk the same because zach went one way and we got kept going and i said no we need to go back the other way so we turn around go back the way that we came expecting to find a way out nothing there we turn around again Go back the way that we came, and then finally, we said fuck it and just. How long were y'all in there? We were in there a while. We thought we we were getting ready to make camp for the night. <laughs> Our boots were wet. Zach Zach just wore cowboy boots. I just wore uh, knee high boots, and the water was over knee high in some spots. So uh, both of our feet were wet. Zach said he got to nut deep water. He's the line pretty deep. So. Um, all of our feet, boots were filled with water. You finally get to that stage where you're just like, fuck it, I'm already wet, so you just keep trudging. And then it, it uh, but yeah, we we were, we were panicking a little bit. Pulled out our phones, finally got the compass on it, and uh, yeah, it, it was an ordeal. We were ready to make camp and burn our underwear for warmth. Thank God we made it out, though. I wouldn't be. I, I, I was. I was worried. I wasn't gonna get to talk to you guys ever again. Thought I was gonna die in the in the salt cedars. 
So you are all, you almost died. Almost died. Near death experience. For sure. So Bear Gorillas, we need to come get him to drop him off in the middle of a forty acre salt cedar patch and see. He, he would never out. find his way out. Yeah. You you could you could take that to the bank. If you drop Bear Grills in the middle of that, he's not finding his so way. So without out. without an iPhone, you and Zach would still be wandering around. We'd be looking well, I don't know about that. We'd have we'd have eventually found one spot to make it out. So did you come in from the east side or the west side? The west side. Walk straight east. Absolutely embarrassing. So you come in by that feeder right there. Correct. <laughs> and you know you want to know where we came out at? About in between the, the north feeder and the south feeder. So we overshot our landing by about 200 yards. Folks, this is absolutely embarrassing. This is like getting lost in the football in a, in a football field with some trees around it. No. Yes, it, it is. That that is not not at all what it is like. It is like getting lost in the middle of Yellowstone with water coming up to your nutsack. Oh, this is embarrassing. I mean, it it happened. What are you going to do? We were we were looking at one another, wondering who's going to die first so that we could eat the eat the other's remains so that we could survive another couple of days. We made it out, though. Glad everybody was concerned. I put it all on my Instagram story. I got a lot of response from that. Python said you're a fucking idiot. No. Yes. They were very happy that I made it out alive. Well, yeah, because they wanted to make you lose another bet. Mm. Mm-hmm. I told you. And Andy says, oh, we'll drop you off in there and see if you can make it. I'll leave my phone. I'll go in there, and I can be out of that thing in 10 minutes. Hmm. Not how I see it. I'll tell you what. You walk me in, blindfold me, walk me in, leave me in the middle of it, and. You couldn't walk in blindfolded. You uh, you basically are blindfolded because you got to close your eyes so much to, to pass the salt cedars. There is no clear path as to where to go. You're constantly closing your eyes. You're constantly ducking brush. So, yeah, you get turned around very, very easily in there. I'll tell you how easily we got turned around. We finally get our bearings, and we say, okay, there's a there's a wind turbine. We're walking to that wind turbine. We go maybe 50 yards, look up. The wind turbine is nowhere to be found. We're facing the complete opposite direction of the wind turbine, and, and we still don't know how that happened. It was like the Blair Witch. You get going on a path, I'm telling you, (laughs) it was like the Blair Witch. You get going on a path, before you know it, you turn around, and you just passed passed the campsite that you were just at. It's exactly how it was. No sun, no no nothing. (laughs) No bearings. There's no wind in there. There's no sun. That's it. We were were ready to die. I can tell you weren't a Boy Scout when you were younger. I'm telling you, you walked for 15 minutes. You will not find your way out I of there you. in an hour. I'm you will, will not do it. I'd be willing to put up them four tomahawks you owe me. And I still don't know how you're getting four tomahawks. That, that, go back. Your math. I'm not going back. I've got enough shit going on. Uh, uh, I, I got no time to go back and listen to 84 different episodes. Two tomahawks. Double or nothing. Double or nothing on one is two. That's double, the math. Double or nothing on two is four. That's okay. I don't even still don't know how you're getting to. I'm not going to even argue with you on tomahawks. I'm going to look it up, and then you're going to go, "Oh, that's right." If you got time, if you have the time to go back and listen to 84 episodes, knock yourself. out. I'll go back and look at listen, try to figure out which one it was. Knock yourself. out. Hey, someone that listens to this goes back and plays me. If you get to the first tomahawk, please send me a message so I can look it up, please. All right, let's talk about some other things. We got some bad news to talk about too. Yes. 
Uh, Blake Poppy, one of our guides, works for us, and he's family up here. Anybody that works for us is family. He's a great guy and a great friend of ours. His dad passed away suddenly uh, this morning, which this is Thursday. This won't come out until tomorrow. But anyways, our prayers and condolences to the Poppy family out of Grant, Nebraska. Good people. Horrible deal. Very, very tragic. Um, Yeah, I wasn't feeling good and uh, went to the hospital, and it was too late. That was uh, early this morning. They lost him. So 52 years old, and he's got three three really good kids. So, yeah, it's a tough deal. I know Blake's going through a very, very tough time. So thoughts and prayers are with him for sure and the whole whole family. That's a bad deal. Yep. really is. Well, let's go to the next thing now. Let's talk about hunt. Let's talk about booking a hunt. That's what you want to talk about there, right? Sure. What to look for in booking a hunt. Or do you not want to talk about that? No, that's fine. You said sure. You just uh, – tough to recover. So, yeah. But, yeah, uh, booking a hunt. What to look for, what questions to ask. You've been doing this for 25 years. What are some questions – what are some – you get a lot of questions – what are some of the better questions that you think people can ask an outfitter before they um, send them money for half of a hunt? The the very first thing that people shouldn't ask is where are we going to hunt that day because I have no idea. Well, let's go through the bookings. Somebody calls you. What are some good questions that you that people need to ask before they book a hunt if if i was going to book a hunt somewhere the first thing i'd say is what time of year is really good and i get that all the time everybody wants to be here for the best day and you don't know but you have an idea you know what typically is your peak time for your bird population on an average year mm-hmm. uh, because and that's another thing when people book this in march or april or may june july august at that point you can only go off of averages yeah i've got guys still will call up today somebody will call me today and they'll say well we're looking at some january dates what do you recommend? Well, this is what I've got left in January. Or these are the dates I have in January, December, or even I've got some November dates left. And you ask me, and I'll tell you. And you're going to say, well, what, what what's it going to look like now? Well, right now it looks like we're going to have a really early winter, and we're supposed to have a really cold winter. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you that in hunting in Texas or Oklahoma that we should have a really good season Duck numbers should be way, way up. Texas, we're going to have lots of ducks because we've got lots of water this year. Oklahoma, we're supposed to have a lot of winter, so we'll have lots of mallards. But you you still don't know what the weather's going to be. I can't tell you what the weather's going to be like at Thanksgiving. Right. Uh, But the guys ask that. And that's a question you should ask is what's your weather like typically that weekend, you know, that time of year? And it could be 80 and it could be 8. I've seen both things. Even even at Christmas. I've seen Christmases where we had to run air conditioner at the house. Mm-hmm. And I've seen Christmases where it's 15 degrees. Uh, we had a blizzard one Christmas and had about two <laughs> foot of snow, it seemed like. I mean, it was horrible. Yeah. So weather weather, and uh, what time of year. Uh, I would ask them, if I was going on a snow goose hunt in Arkansas, I would say when typically have the birds left by if I'm going on a spring snow goose hunt. Right. You know, because I, I don't want to get up there on March 15th, and usually by March 15th, the birds have already left. Uh, that I would ask about that. I'd ask about the guides I'm hunting with, you know. Who who, who are your employees that work for you? Am I, am I going to hunt with a kid that's in high school still that hunts, you know, six times a year? Am I going to hunt with a guy that works, every, you know, every day? Uh, are we going to hunt over silhouette decoys? Are we going to hunt over full-body decoys? Do we help put out the decoys? 
Because, you know, the guys come up here and they'll be like, well, you mean we help put out the decoys? Yes, we do. Absolutely. Um, if you want to book an executive hunt where you don't do nothing, we can accommodate that. And a lot of other places can too. Yeah. But you need to let them, you know, up front. If, if you're not going to help put out the decoys and stuff, you're going to run your hunt behind. You got a group of 10 guys and all of them want to sit in the suburban and bullshit while you do all the work. Then when that sun comes up, it ain't going to be time to hunt. And don't be shocked. Yeah. I mean, if you're not willing to help do some work, you need to let them know before. And they'll probably say, hey, it'd be extra $50 a day for each person and we'll do it. I had a guy do that too, call me the other day. And he goes, well, we, we, there's six of them. He said, we, we, we'd like to do an executive hunt where we don't have to do another work. They put them out and we pick them up. Okay. I said, we could do that. How much is it? I said, it's $50 extra per man. He goes, that's $300. I said, yes, sir, extra. Yes. He said, well, hell. He said, you can't just find a local guy to go do it for, you know, $50, $75. First of all, yeah. you don't want no damn local guy just going to put your decoys out. Yeah. Call, the high, call the high school kids. Oh, we got we got a little bit of money for you. Yeah. I have said, fun. I said, we have to do a separate breakfast. We have to drive you. Me or Tony has to pit, make you sure you're at that field at first light. Mm-hmm. And drive a separate trip. It's three hundred freaking dollars. That's what it's going to cost. If there's ten of you, it's five hundred dollars. Right. I've seen my guides go out before and get the spread set up the night before if it's not going to be a frost and work during while well, they're normally sleeping to make that extra money because I pay them most percentage of that goes straight to the guide anyways. But you know that's one of the things. If you're not willing to work, you need to find out what's going to be expected of you. Mm-hmm. I, I looked at. I've never been on a spring snow goose hunt. I never really wanted to ever really. I don't, I don't either. It just by that time of year, I'm sick of. I'm ready to go to Mexico or do something like that than go hunting again. But I looked at a guy that had a place for set for. Uh, he was selling hunts last year, and he hunted over ten thousand decoys. Mm. And he put the decoys out, and they were there year round, and heated mm. pits and stuff. And I thought, now my fat lazy ass, that might be something I'd like to do. He charges two hundred dollars a day. I thought I'd drive up there for two hundred bucks to go sit in a heated pit, show up at first light, hunt. And turn around and turn around and walk around and not have to do shit. That's right up my alley right there. But that's the questions I would have asked him. I, am I expected to, you know, move decoys, do any, you know, I want to know what's going on. Tell me up front so I'll know. Is it tacky to ask for a referral? No, not at all. I, I wish people would ask more people for referrals. And and, and, and here's the thing with referrals. Get, get some referrals from people that go back that have hunted with them for a long time. Right. You know, don't get a guy that hunted with them one time last year because he might have been on that one good hunt they had. Mm-hmm. Ask for some referrals for guys that have hunted with them for five years, you know, and ask for different kind of referrals. And make sure you ask it; it's not your friend. Right. You know, because, yeah. you know, they'll give you the name of, oh, yeah, Joe Bob. Yeah, we went to high school together, been friends for 30 years. I hunt with him once a year, you know. You should get references from every hunt you go on. If you've never been there before, most of your business, you're looking – you're looking at guys that are word of mouth anyways. Or most of our business is that way. Mm-hmm. You know? And if that guy calls, he don't need references. His buddy is his reference. Right. But if it's a new group and you've never been somewhere before, <clears throat> let's say I wanted to book a hunt in Utah. You know, if anybody in the hunting waterfowl businesses in Utah, I'm sure there are. And I call out there, and, I, and there's three different outfitters I'm looking at, and I'm going to take some clients out there. Ask them how long they've been in business. Ask mm-hmm. them, you know, give me some references. Give me five different references. People have hunted with you over the years. Just stuff like that. That's all you need, you know. And, and you're going to have good and you're going to have bad. We had a guy hunting with us last year that trashes us all the time. They killed 85 birds in two days. 85, they didn't They didn't get their little duckies. But he didn't shoot some field ducks, so he bitches about it every day. Well, he come in December, it was 75, 80 degrees every day. Should have been 
great duck hunting, but yeah. the weather did not line up. Yeah, the motherfucker put we put a, a, a video up last night of some ducks that we've got because we're just covered in ducks right now. We're gonna have a great opening duck weekend next weekend, and the and the cocksucker rode on there, worst in the business. Yeah, he, and, and he's going to trash. Well, you know what? It's fucking 80 degrees. It's 80 degrees for three days in December. Nobody's shooting ducks right now. No, it was a horrible duck field. There was no field ducks because he he's mad because I told him it's like shooting in Canada, the field ducks. Well, we hunt the same way you do in Canada. And that time of year, typically everybody that hunted with us, we killed ducks. Just last year we didn't. We didn't start killing ducks in the field till after Christmas last year. Yeah. It was not like it. It's cooler now than it was all of December last year. I would have taken this weather right now the first second week of December in Oklahoma. Yeah, but he shot 85 He shot eighty five yeah. geese in two days. No, he actually in three days they shot over 100. I know he hit a 50, a 35, a 50, and I don't remember what the other day. I think they killed 30 or something that day too. You're dealing with, and that's another thing. that If you're going to go on a guided hunt, all you're doing, and I'm going to break this down for a lot of people because a lot of people have the misconception of, oh, I'm paying money, so it's going to be golden. All you're doing by going on a guided hunt is stacking the odds in your favor. You're not guaranteeing fucking shit. So if that's your mindset for booking, and I'm getting fired up again, I'm getting passionate about this. But if your mindset is, is I'm paying money so I should stack the fucking birds up, you're you're already going in with a losing attitude. You're stacking the odds in your favor is all that you're doing. That's it. You're gonna you're paying for somebody to scout a field. You're paying for fields. You're paying for equipment, and you're paying for somebody that knows how to use that equipment and a goose or a duck call. That is the extent of what you're paying for. Any other put any other trigger time is just a bonus. So get your mind right before you go do this. If you're if you if you're not gonna let go of your money, or if you're gonna be pissed off that you let go of your money because you had a bad hunt, you have no business booking a hunt with an outfitter. Because you're already going in with a losing attitude. Yeah, I, I, you're stacking the odds is all you're doing. Yeah, I, I see guys all the time that I see this once a year from a guy. He's already more con- concerned about how much money he spent on a hunt than the actual hunt. He comes through the door and he's like, well, it's, you know, it's going to be no wind tomorrow and blah, blah, you know, and just dude, see what happens, you know. We've shot limits of birds in every situation there is. Mm-hmm. And we've had bad hunts in every situation there is. There I've are, had bad hunts where it was stacked the night before. Yeah. And thought it was a for sure. Thought it was, went to bed thinking I got a slam dunk in the morning and shit just happens. But it, 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 I don't. But but that's the re, re, referrals are definitely a thing you should do. Um, I would, I would, if a guy can't give you referrals or he avoids that, then I, I would stay away from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would ask if he had insurance because that's a big part. If a guy don't have liability insurance, he probably is a fly by night. Probably so. Because most everyone has, you should. If you're if you're in the business and you don't have liability insurance, you're an idiot, basically. So if you're an outfitter out there and you're listening and you don't have liability insurance, and I said that and you said, hey, you kiss my ass, well, you should have liability insurance because it just takes one thing to happen. We had a that incident happen two years ago in Kansas on a crane hunt. Not and, we. No, we didn't. They had an incident up there on a crane hunt, and I don't know the whole story i don't i'm not pretending to know i do not know the story i just know that they had a guy got shot on a sandhill crane hunt and the guy mm-hmm. survived thank god but i know that it has caused a lot of issues for people trying to get on property to hunt because i don't think they had insurance 
And then what did, did they go after the landowner? I, I'm assuming so. And even with even if you have insurance, they're still you're still gonna get sued. Yes, I mean that ain't shit. People sue people all the time for stupid shit, so they're still gonna sue. Yeah, I've always this is this has scared me to death. Always, I've not worried as much about someone getting shot. And I hope it never happens. We've been fortunate on that. I always worry about someone having an accident and going to the field in the morning, like a car accident. Yes, and then Tony about cut his fucking finger off right there, and then, <laughs> and then uh, having a guy have an accident and then wanting to come on us because they had an accident driving the field in the morning. I've worried more worried about that than anything. Right. That's been oh, that's always been one of my biggest concerns. That's a slippery slope, I think. Oh, I'm sure it is. But well, today's world, though, you know how it is. I mean, I have insurance. It don't matter. The insurance company can handle it. Right. But that's the way people do things. Now, what about hidden costs? Are there hidden costs? I mean, you you've heard just about every story in the sun, and we're very open. You know, if you want if you want us to clean your bird, it's going to be extra. We but, got we got a piece of paper they sign in on in Texas that says this is the cost of bird cleaning. Uh, tips, everything. We, and it don't say you have to tip. It just says this is the average tip. You know, we sell a $350 hunt in Texas. You got to figure the average tip for anything you do is 10 to 15% is the average tip. So if you go by the average tip, it's $50 basically on that hunt, $42.50 or something. Or $52.50, I guess, is 15%. $50. And you break that down that 40 of it or 35 of it goes to the guide, 15 of it goes to the kitchen ladies and cleaning staff, whatever. But that's the average tip for anywhere you go is 10 to 15%. So you should include that in your own cost. It's usually not included. I don't know any place that includes it, includes it in the hunt. tip. Not in the hunting cost. Uh, but you you figure that that's going to be the average. The average Your hidden cost is going to be 10 to 15%. I'm going to tell you right now, you should do 15 to 20 I don't guide anymore. I haven't in years, but the guys work hard, and that's their bread and butter. So if you go on a guided hunt, and for a two-day hunt, you spend $500, you should plan on spending another $75 to $100 on tip. Yeah. I think that's the a going rate. I think that's a good way to do with people. If you spend $5,000, your tip should be $1,000 or 1500 Uh Cash usually is the best way. Now, i got a lot of corporate groups that hunt with us, and they tip on check or credit card, and if they do that, I give that to the guide. On their check. But if they give us cash, the guys get cash. Uh, so tips is a hidden cost. It's not a hidden cost, but it is a cost. And people like right. it. We still have people that don't know about tipping. Right. I've had groups that haven't tipped before. And the guy's like, you know, they, they stiff me on a tip. Then they call back and book a hunt. And I'll say, hey, because I write myself a note a lot of times. And I'll say, you know, uh, last year, did the guy do something wrong last year? No, man, it was perfect. I said, well, they didn't get a tip. Oh, are we supposed to tip? And right. they don't know. Right. You know, so that's why I put that on that piece of paper that says, yes, you do tip the guy. The average tip is so-and-so. You can do whatever you want to do, but this is the average tip. Um, bird cleaning. And and for us, that's the only extra cost you have is bird cleaning. Tips. We don't have tax. We, you know, none of that shit. Right. Uh, some places in different types of hunts, but like on deer hunts and stuff, they'll charge you extra per inch on the deer horns. And they'll charge you. I've been to some or known to some places that, on a hog hunt, will charge you per pound on the pig over so much. Really? Yeah, and I just don't, we we don't do that. That seems so, like a lot of extra work for that extra money. You imagine regarding the pigs? Yeah, well, just think about the deer. You got a guide with you, and those people <clears throat> sign a piece of paper. There, if you shoot a deer over 140 inches, the cost is going to be so much per inch, and it's at your discretion whether you want to hunt that animal or not. Well, then they go on a deer hunt, 
and they're with a guide, and he goes, well, I think that deer scored 142, and that guy's like, shit, that's going to cost me an extra 200 bucks. Okay. Then they shoot the deer, and it scores 153, and it costs him 1500 extra dollars or right. whatever it is. And he's like, well, shit, the guide told me. Well, yeah. you signed a piece of paper that said. That's, I wouldn't want to have to settle that bill. No. I mean, it's if your guide told him to shoot it at what it was going to score, it, that's yeah. what it should go by. Right. Damn. I, I wouldn't want to be the one collecting the money. No, and, and guys get caught up on that. And there's a lot of guys that go into high-fence ranch places on these pig hunts, and it's a 300-pound pig and less costs so much money. If you shoot anything over $300, there's a $500 trophy fee added to it. Right. Well, the guy's paying $200 to shoot a freaking pig, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden he goes to settle up, and they're like, oh, yo, it's $700. That pig weighed 307 mm. Well, sh- you know, if I, it's, mm. that's not my cup of tea anyways. No. You know, and that and that's another thing that the odds we pride ourselves in rebookings, and I think that is kind of the only way that you can measure a successful outfitter. I don't think that it's necessarily the amount of birds. Sure, that that is a little factor, but I think the way that you gauge a successful outfitter is how many guys come back year in and year out, constantly spending their money with these people. Like, like dove season, we just went through seven weeks of dove season. We had the seven groups, the same groups of people here for seven weeks this year that we had the year before. The numbers changed a little bit, and we had a horrible dove season this year when it comes to the weather wise. I mean, we had a, everybody rebooked for next year, so it was a good season. But the actual hunting part Excuse of it me. was hard this year because it rained every freaking weekend, every Friday, every Friday, and it rained all damn weekend. And we and every group's booked for next year, just about. I think, honestly, out of all the groups we have, I can think of one group that I haven't heard back from. Everyone else is rebooked. Yeah. But to me, that's the way that you gauge a successful outfitter. And if, you, if you're the type of outfitter that people go to, and then at the when it comes time to settle up, you hit them with the trophy fee or the this fee or the that fee, the odds are not very good that you're going to see – people year in and year out and they're definitely not going to come back if they if they had a bad hunt and you, and then you stick them with all these extra costs so um just like this podcast we try to run a business that is completely transparent extra costs tip the guide bring extra money for that bring extra money if uh you want your birth process and that's really all that there is uh, uh for us and we're very open you know we we I hear Jeff on the phone all the time, and he always tells, you know, this is, this is what it is. Some guys don't believe you though. Some some guys think that they're some little hiccup somewhere that you're going to get them. Yeah, and and I, we don't settle up till the end either. I've always been weary when I go on a trip, fishing trip especially, because I haven't ever been on any other guided hunts, a fishing trip, and and you go to fishing trip and. As soon as you get there, that guy before he lets you on the boat wants you to pay up. Right. I'm thinking, well, fuck, is this guy not planning on putting us on any fish or what? Yeah. And whether I catch a fish or don't catch a fish, and I've been there. I went on a guided fishing trip with a guy, me and Payne did one day at South Padre, and I didn't get a bite or catch a fish the whole time. Boy, the guy, he was nervous. He was scared. I know him. I've known him. I've fished with him for years. He was just, he was beating himself up over the day. I'm like, listen, I got to spend time with my son on the water, watch the sun come up. Payne caught some fish. I didn't catch a fish. And we we do have a son named Payne that's not around the waterfowl business. He just he's the our youngest. He's not a big he's not really into this, this that much. So we got done fishing and he was just I'm so sorry. I said, Listen, it was a great time. Yeah. I didn't catch fish, no big deal. You know, I 
if if I, if I'm the guy you got to worry about, you're in big trouble because <laughs> I'm not I'm not having any problems at all. Right. You know, I like to catch some fish, but it wasn't the end of the world. Mm-hmm. I fished with him again after that. I wouldn't, you know, I didn't base, but I'd fished with him a bunch over the deal, and he worked his ass off. It was just one of them deals. Things happen. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you about one of my only guided trips I've ever been. I'm gonna tell you a little story. Me, me and Dad and Brent Chambers, who's passed away, and Matt Reagan, a friend of ours. We went to Alaska on a hunt. I've always wanted to go to Alaska, and my dad and him, my dad and Matt had been four or five different times, I think, before this. And what we did is we we flew to Fairbanks, Alaska, and we got a float plane. and And the package we bought was a, a semi guided. I don't know where semi come because it was completely mm-hmm. unguided hunting and fishing trip to the Minto Flats, which is north of Fairbanks. I don't know how far away, 100 miles, 50 miles, shit, I don't know. I flew on a damn float plane for 45 minutes or probably. But they land you in these flats, and you hunt on a, uh, you stay in a little cabin, and they give you decoys, and they give you food. You cook for yourself. And we stayed in a a building, about like a Morgan building is about what it was. And the front half of it had a table that had four chairs in it, a wood-burning stove, and then they had Three bunk beds in the back so it could sleep six people, I guess, and had, uh, you took your own sleeping bag and stuff. And they flew us in and dropped us in there, and we hunted on our own. And I tell you, I saw some of the prettiest country in the world on that trip. The hunting was not very good when we were there. It's, it was a tough deal. Dad and them had been before, and they caught they caught a lot of pike. The year we were there, the no, there was no fish. It right. had been a real bad winter the winter before, and it killed most of them out. But we fished, and we hunted, and it was the whole experience was awesome and i would love to do something like that again just for the simple fact of we were there for seven days and we had a transistor radio which i know you andy you probably don't even know one of them some bitches is nope and i could listen to football games and i could keep up with my fantasy team i even did fantasy football back then over just listening to the radio but that was it i mean there was there was no communication with the outside world and he he flew back in and checked on us on like day four and then day seven got there and we got snowed in, and we had to stay there an extra day. Oof. Now, I don't like ducks and geese. And other than what they gave us to food, you we were supposed to eat your ducks and geese. Now, we killed a bunch of freaking grouse. Thank mm-hmm. God that gave me something to eat. But I would walk through these. At this time, Bismuth was, uh, just, had just came out, and the Bismuth guys gave me a whole bunch of ammo to take with me. And I took a bunch of sixes up there, and I was shooting ducks with them. But I started shooting these grouse. But I'm walking through the woods shooting grouse, and the guy had told me there was no grizzly bears. Oh, you don't have to worry about bears. Well, we found out later that that area had lots of grizzly bears on it, and I was scared to death to do that. But the worst part of the whole thing was is they had a shitter that was about 20 yards behind the cabin. And thank God I didn't eat much in there, so I didn't have to go that shitter much. But when you sat on that shitter, you were sure worried about getting eaten by a grizzly bear. (laughs) That always crossed my mind. always took a gun with me after I found out. But... We killed lots of birds. I could see Denali there. But the guy didn't tell us the whole story. He sold us a bunch of fishing lures. That's what I was going to tell a story about. He sold me $100 worth of fishing lures in 1991 to catch all these pike with, knowing there was no pike there. Oh. And one of the locals owned a cabin right down from us. He's a professor at University of Alaska. And that my dad's still friends with him. He even hunted with us hmm. about five years after that to come down hunting. He reached out to us on Facebook the other day. But... He told me, he said, there's no fish here. He said, there, there wouldn't be no fish all year long. He said, it was a big freeze-off fish kill, and that there are no fish here. Well, that would have been was handy, mattered you know? shit. I made that guy buy his lures back. Right. I was pissed. 
I didn't mind if he'd have just told us up front. We'd already booked the trip. Right. But it was a great experience. I mean, just a great experience. And I've looked to do something like that again. I thought, man, Dad, we'd like to go back and do that again. Yeah. But the hunting, it was so much water everywhere, and there was ducks, geese, swans, but it was hard to find a place that had a big pocket of birds because mm-hmm. they, were, they were just everywhere. So let's talk about that. What if somebody, if the hunting is bad or the fishing is bad, you booked a trip, you call, because you're in constant communications with people leading up to the hunt, correct? Yes. What? Let's say you've booked a hunt and you call a guy and they say, listen, they're – there's no birds here. What do you do then? Well, but say you've got a trip up in North Dakota coming it, up soon. If an outfitter tells you not to come and you still go on that hunt, regardless of the outcome, that's on you. Right. I mean, I've had to do that here before. I've thought, guys, listen, last year before Christmas mm-hmm. in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. yeah. I moved some people to Texas. Another group, I said, listen, I don't think I would, you know, I don't recommend this year because we're having a, you know, it's a hot winter. You know, it's normally this is the time to be here. And I moved a group to Texas, and one guy got, you know, he's kind of mad about it. And I'm like, listen, I'm just trying to be honest with you. Right. You know, every year this is a good time to be here. Mm-hmm. This year's just different. I mean, everybody last year, the first two weeks of December, was looking for places to shoot birds at. We had no winter. But if, if, if call the outfitter and they say, look, probably don't need to come. I would listen to him. Because mo- most outfitters want that second half of that payment you owe them. Right. If they're willing to forgive that second half of the payment you owe them, or not forgive it, but just say, hey, we'll move your deposit to later in the year, I would recommend it. Now, or some, next year. Or next year. But now, if sometimes what they'll do is they'll call you up and they'll say, hey, we don't have a lot, we don't have birds here. And 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 when I do this, I'm like, listen, if you want to come hunt, we'll hunt. We're going to hunt. Mm-hmm. We may not do much shooting, but we will hunt. And if you go on a hunt up there, and I've had guys that say, listen, we've already got commitments. People got airplane tickets, blah, 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 we're coming. And I've had some good experience. We've had some good hunts that way. And I've had others that are slow, and the guy said, hey, I appreciate you being honest and telling us. Right. I mean, I had a guy got all mad last year with me about it. And the same time he got mad, another guy is a group of 12 guys, and they're all individuals. No corporation. They're just all friends. And one guy got all pissy with me. I mean, he got mad. I'm like, listen. If you want to come up, we'll take your money. I'm just telling you, I don't think the hunt's going to be real good right now. Well, the other guy in his group called me, and he thanked me. Right. He said, man, I appreciate you calling and being honest and telling us, you know. And, you know, I'd like to hunt you, but I want you to be a lifetime customer. I don't want it to be a one-and-done deal. Right. And if you come up and it's no good, then you're going to say, well, why didn't you tell us? You know, I'll, I'll, we will have a bad hunt this year. Of course. That I won't be expecting. It's just hunting. It happens. But there are years when you know think the numbers are down or something happens, and you call people and say, hey, right now it's pretty tough. Mm-hmm. Now, you can either come hunt or not hunt, but I'm telling you what the situation is. Yeah. Now, do you tell people, you know, like, hey, things are tough right now? and um, Like, do you just tell every group that, or is it only when, like, birds are scattered or not present? If, if the hunting's – if we'd had a bad day the day before, I usually tell people if they ask how it was today, if today was a tough day, you know. But yesterday or the day before, we we're, did pretty we're good. good. You know, it's just, you know, it's hunting. You know, we have some days sometimes that aren't so good. You know, but I I, have, I try to be honest with everybody. If you call me up and you say, hey, what's the birds like? Like, we got guys coming in dove hunting this weekend. If he called and asked me what was going on right now, I'd tell him, listen, we got dove. I saw a bunch of dove this morning. You better bring a rain jacket. Now, it's not supposed to be raining Saturday. Right. Whenever the sun comes out, the dove hunting should be damn good. Season will be over, but it'll be yeah. really good. But – I mean, and, and I've got some pig hunters this weekend. We got lots of pigs. So, 
You know, if he called me up today and said, hey, what's a pig deal look like? It looks real good. It's going to be wet and muddy, though. But we have pigs, and they're here. I, I try to tell everybody. I, I, I've never understood why someone lies to someone, because they're going to find out they're when they get there. They're going to find out when they get there. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, now, there's a big difference between having a couple of hard days of hunting and having lots of birds here is to have no birds. Correct. That's a different story right there about itself. Yeah. But but basically, if you come if you go on that hunt and the outfitters told you, like, listen, this is it. we got no birds here. They've all shipped out or whatever. And you go. That's on you. Be expecting to pay the second half of the hunt. Oh, yeah. They're not going to give you a hunt. I mean, they told you they told you up front what it is. You need to pay up. You need to tip. You need to do everything you did. Because those guys work their ass off still. Right. And they told you don't come. Like mm-hmm. right now, there are some guys in the upper part of Canada mm-hmm. that are probably got their assholes clenched tight right now because the birds are leaving. Yeah. I mean, and I've talked to some guys from up there and a lot of birds. Now, there are some places that probably are still going to have great hunting for another month. But those boys that go to the second week of November, there probably are going to be there probably going to be no birds left here in another ten days at the most. And there's probably a lot of them guys have already lost most of their birds. Mm-hmm. I know because I've talked to some guys up there and they said that hey their birds have gone most of them. Got that old butthole. <clears throat> yeah, but park it up. But you especially Canada hunts because most of those guys prepay for their hunts. Yeah, they don't exchange money up there. Most most of the guys I know up there do not exchange money in Amer- in Canada. It's all right. done in America. They've exchanged money. They've, these people have prepaid their hunt. You take ten customers up there, and you've paid. And they've got air. You know, they got yeah. plane tickets. Yeah, and they've spent thirty thousand dollars for the ten guys to go hunting up there, and then they got the hotels. The you know the day before, and the airplane and the rental car and stuff, and they're going to spend forty thousand dollars on this, and they've got thirty to thirty five thousand of it tied up already. Mm-hmm. And then they get a call from a guy, and he's like, "Hey, winter hit early. Yeah, we, we we're locked up. Don't come." And that guy's like, well, I got all these airplane tickets. And, you know, they, they understand. They know where you're coming from, but they're just trying to tell you what's going on. Yeah. This conversation is being held somewhere today, right now, that we're talking about. Yeah. Somebody today is going through this same thing right now. And the outfitter is being honest with the guy. And the guy knows that, but he's like, well, shit, you know, I've already got all these plane tickets bought. You know, what can we do? There's nothing to do. Call Jeff Stanfield at Stanfield Honey <laughs> in Knoxville, Texas. He can put yeah. you on some birds this yeah. winter. But they can't do anything. No. I mean, if you have a late Canada hunt this year, it's if if someone came to me in June and they said, Jeff, let's go to Canada somewhere. Where do you want to go hunting? I'd say, okay, I want to go Saskatchewan, Alberta, somewhere along the border, midway up in the, you know, midway up. And I want to do it either the closest I can to Halloween that I can get either way, either side of it. Well, shit, look at what's happening now. It's the 18th yeah. of October, and they're already losing most of their birds. Mm-hmm. You'd be screwed. Yep. And But historically, you know, that goes back to that. You're booking this hunt in March or April, and you call the guy and say, hey, what's it like this time of year? Well, guess what? The year we were in Canada, we left the 20th, and it that was the first time it got cold. And we were eight hours north of the border. We, we were, were a long way north of where a lot of guys are hunting. We left the 20th or the 21st, I can't remember, but right in there, and... Five days prior to that, it was 75 degrees. Yeah, we're shorts. The coldest day we were there was the first day I was there. It so, snowed on you and Tony in early September that year up there. Yeah, so, I mean, if you call the guy and say, hey, what's it like October 30th or November 2nd? Three years before that, you know, this is what we've had. But, you know, it's just... So, in that situation, I mean, they just got to eat their plane ticket, I guess, and hopefully hope they can move their hunt to next year. Or take a bunch of customers to Canada somewhere and go say... And it, uh, 
and lodging comes in all different packages and different things. Our lodge, we have a really nice big dining hall with tons of mounts on it. We serve you three good meals a day. Our rooms are bunk-style rooms. Each private group has its own room. We have nine rooms that sleep six to eight people in each room. We've got a social room. But we're not a fancy, fancy place. No. You know, there are some lodges out there that if you just want to take some customers up to an Orvis-type lodge and stay in a million-dollar lodge, and they're going to cook for you every day, some guys might want to go get away anyways. Right. They're going to say, hey, we want to go up there and just stay at the lodge and hang out, and if we something to shoot, we'll shoot. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's a different type of deal. And there are all kinds of different outfitters out there. There are guys that are selling $1,000 a day places, and there's guys that are selling $300 a day places like we do. Mm-hmm. You know? So what about let's talk. What about lodging? What should people expect with lodging? I mean, do most do most lodges? You know, are there places where you, you know, bring your own linens or or what's what have you seen in that? There's every type, and I, that's the question I get more than anything from the first time customer. Do we need blankets? What, do we need to bring our own? You know, sheets, blankets, towels, pillows. No, we have all that here, mm-hmm. but some places they don't. Right, it's um, just a mattress. Yeah. That place we stayed in North Dakota didn't have nothing fancy, if I remember right. They had bed sheets and stuff. Did they? Yeah, I didn't towels. remember that. Yeah. Okay. But th- but that's the typical average deal. Some places don't have that. Some places have daily maid service in the room and turn down service. And, you know, at dinner time, it's, you know, we have, a, we have country-style dinners here. You come in. It's all you want to eat. I've never had anybody go hungry. Like during dove season, we do pork chops and chicken one night and steak and sausage the next. Lunchtime, we do barbecue brisket, uh, sandwiches, salad, salad bar every night and every day. Breakfast is biscuits and gravy, toast, cold cereal, that kind of thing. Oatmeal, that sort of thing. Well, you go to some places that, that and they've got a chef that works all day long just cooking you whatever you want to have. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, yeah, you ask, you know, what are the, what do the meals consist of, you know? Are we going to have, there used to be a guy that used to hunt out here a little bit, had a place. He had stew for lunch every day. Mm-hmm. And that fucking stew was the same pot of stew he had year-round. He just kept her going. And he just kept adding stuff to it all the time. And I was thinking, God, the bottom of that stuff going to make you sick. It's like eating chili. When you go to – me and a friend of mine, Wayne Hutchinson, we've talked about him, the coach at Monterey. We were in Vegas. And we were going to get a hot dog. It's just the guys went and did the thing. The girls did their thing. We are at some casino. It's probably about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And we hadn't eaten. It's like, damn, I'm hungry. He's like, so am I. So I'm going to get me a hot dog. I had foot-long hot dogs. It, at Imperial Palace or one of these uh, smaller casinos. And Hutch goes, oh, shit, they got, I'm going to get me a chili dog. I said, I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. He goes, why? I said, you never eat chili anywhere that's open 24 hours a day. No. Next morning at breakfast, oof, I should listen to you last night, that chili. I said, yeah. I told you. But He's you, been adding to it all day. Yeah, for weeks or mm-hmm. months. You know, who, who knows last time that chili pole was clean, you know, it stayed on the oven the whole time cooking. Mm. But you, you don't, you, you, you want to make sure that you ask about meals. If you've got customers that are that are blue bloods mm-hmm. and they're expecting to have lobster and stuff like that, you need to ask before you go. Right. I've had guys turn their down their nose at food like this, and I've had other guys that go ape shit crazy over it. The firemen love the food here. You know, it's 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 a it's good food and it's a lot of food, but it's not it's not steak and lobsters. No, it's not fillet fillet mignon and lobsters. No, we're not doing that. That's not our place. You know, if you want to spend the extra $10,000 for your trip, we'll do it. But that's the kind of stuff that these people, you know, those are questions you need to ask. What is on the menu? Right. You know, wh- wh- what should we expect? The place in Canada we stayed at, that lady did breakfast every morning, and, and it was different there than here. It was really good food, but we did a light breakfast. We did a breakfast of um, 
just toasting jams, mm-hmm. basically. Yep. It, that was basically it, and some bananas and apples or something. Mm-hmm. And then when you come in from the hunt, she had a big lunch every day. Right. And that was the big meal of the day. Lunch was a big meal. And then at nighttime, she would have soup and sandwiches. Right. And I really liked the food, and I got used to I mean, it was great. Mm-hmm. And she done a good job, but that was the difference between our lodge and their lodge. Mm-hmm. And so ask. And so when I got up there that day for breakfast, Andy goes, oh, yeah, lunch is the big meal. And then at dinner we have that. And I didn't care. But I'm not real picky when it comes to eating. You can tell by looking at me. Yeah. So just, there, you know, there's differences, especially if, if you're going abroad, just there's going to be differences in the way that they do things. So kind of get a game plan with whoever you're talking to ahead of time. That way, whenever you get there and communicate with your buddies. That's one thing that I see a lot of is uh, Jeff talks to one guy, basically. And, and most of the outfitters that I know, they talk to one guy. And that one guy brings 6 to 12 or however many. But there's one guy that's in charge. It is that guy's job to tell his buddies what to expect when they get there. Like, I can't tell you how many times um, something happens and they're like, well, we didn't know about it. Well... Yeah, w- w- I didn't have the number for, for the eight of you to tell each and every one of you. So if you're organizing a hunt, be prepared to pass information along to your buddies. That way they don't get where they're going, and then they're blindsided. The, another thing that I would re- highly recommend is to pay attention to the weather. Yep. We get so many guys up here. It, it amazes me people that don't pay attention to the weather. And there are just people out there that don't. They wake up si- outside uh, up in the morning. They look outside, and if it's raining, it's going to rain all day. If it's sunny, and we have guys that show up here like that. Well, it was eighty four when I left Houston today. Well, there's a big difference between Houston in December and Knox City in December. Mm-hmm. And they get up there and they freeze their ass off. Pay attention to the weather wherever you go. Anywhere I'm going to go, I don't care if I'm going on vacation. Me and we were supposed to go to Michigan this week. Me and Michelle were. Well, we canceled our trip because. Last year when we were up there at this time, it was 65 degrees and the low was 35 or 40. Well, this year the high is going to be 40 and the low is going to be 27, 28 and snowing. Well, Mackinac Island didn't see the Stanfields this year because of that. Mm-hmm. And so I want, you know, I checked with the weather before we left. And so check the weather before you go anywhere. Look it up and see what it's going to be like and have an idea and be prepared for it. You don't know how many guys we've seen coming in here and they don't have no rain jackets and it's raining or snowing. Just cold weather gear in general. Yeah. If you're going, if you're going goose or duck hunting, bring cold weather gear. And please, if you're in the oil field and we have a lot of oil field guys, don't wear blue oak coveralls. <laughs> the Schlumberger blue coveralls with the chartreuse green mm-hmm. stuff on them is not the best thing for hiding. No, we can do it, but we we're going to talk about you when you leave. So, and I, and I think we're I'll, I'll change up real quick. I think we're going to see a remake to the retro camouflage is coming you're going to be a trendsetter you've been wearing uh flannels yeah and brown for a couple of years solid now. colors yeah yeah i think you're fixing to see a big trend in that like what i think you're going to see some of these other companies like sika and some of them are going to change somebody in that somebody yeah, that's in a big so. somebody in that in those kind of deals is going to switch and come to the old some old-fashioned flannels going to be released before long i bet I don't. I mean, you can just you can go to Filson and get whatever you need, old school wise. They hadn't changed in two hundred years. No, and they really got some good stuff, and I can't they wait did. to see these. They're beds. actually bringing out uh, camouflage shadow grass. They've got they've got a couple things made in shadow grass, and I think bottomland or something. But 
I'm going to get me some Filson bibs. I got a pair at the house. Have you got them now? Got them. I want to look at them. Which one did you go with? The gray no, or the greenish? Just, just, just that green and green and tan. I, I wear them all winter. Yeah. They, those, I mean, they got good stuff. Those aren't just hunting bibs. Those are bibs just to wear around. Those Cla- are you're a classy motherfucker whenever you're wearing Filson. So. I think classy and motherfucker don't go together. You're a classy cocksucker whenever you're wearing Filson. <laughs> I question real quick while we're talking about this stuff. Uh, one of our clients and a, a, a podcast guy messaged me the other day, and he wanted to know why we started hunting in Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. And so here, here's the reason why. We 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 hunted in our lodge, Knox City, Texas, in the from 1985 to about 2010, was probably the number one wintering ground for Canada geese in the United States of America. Correct. I would put it up against anywhere in the world, and anybody that was out here during that time would probably say, you know, Jeff's got a good argument there. I'm not saying there aren't other places that didn't, don't hold a lot of birds, but we would winter anywhere from a half million to a million small Canada geese and speckle bellies. And we have the playa. This is the farthest that the playa lakes come, the farthest south and the farthest east that they go in, in Texas. And we had we have about seven playas that are here. Well, our window to, to scout is different than other places. You go to the Texas Panhandle, and them poor guys will drive 80, 90, 100 miles sometimes scouting to find birds. Our birds stayed within about a 10-mile circle. If you got west or east of 277, you didn't see any geese. Mm-mm. You could be a half mile inside of 277 going west, and you were right there. From there, all the way to Highway 6 and about four miles west of Highway 6, which is probably about a 10-mile corridor, we would winter all these geese. From my living room at my house, I could scout in 10 minutes and be on a million birds. And it was that way for a long time. Well, it quit raining in 2010. 2010, yes. 2010 quit raining. And we had the summer of all summers. It was 120 freaking degrees about every day for basically June, July, and August. It was a hot, miserable son of a bitch. And we didn't have any rain and no storms. And our bird numbers started decreasing every year. Well, I made the decision in about 14 that we were going to find someplace else and start hunting because we have a ton of customers. And we've lost some customers since then. And But we decided to go to Oklahoma instead of go to Lubbock. Everybody in the dog was going to Lubbock because Lubbock has water because the city. Mm-hmm. And all the water in the city stayed there. Well, today, I bet it's safe to say there's 30 different outfitters fighting over property in Lubbock, Texas. Lubbock is a clusterfuck right now. And there's two or three big guys that control most of it. And they're battling each other all the time for more control than they, all these college kids. And if you ask an outfitter out there, and they're being honest, they'll tell you they have a lot of problem with college kids. Yes. Upstart outfitters there go to school one semester. Well, just, just listen to the Brent Fox interview. Yes. I mean, he it's, described it perfectly. Yeah, it's everyday. It's an everyday battle out there. Well, we don't deal with all that out here. We had us and a couple other guys locked everything up here, and we had nobody else here. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't drive up here and get on land like you could. Every piece of property out here was either season leased or the farmer's day lease to one of us three guys. And it was a mad race. I'm telling you, if I needed a day lease field, I scout. I don't hunt. I scout in the morning, and when the birds start racking up, I'm on the phone. And we know usually what weather is. And you can also tell sometimes that those birds are going to that field because we're pushing them off of another field. So sometimes you don't lease that field because right. you know damn well that next night they're going to go right back to the field that you're hunting that morning. But anyways, and that's why we started hunting in Oklahoma, and we started out northern, Oklahoma, northern the middle of Oklahoma, 
and then we got around Hobart, and we've got a good connection there, and we've built up a pretty good connect, uh, land base, and that's where we hunt at. And I like it. it. It's a great place to be. And that's how we started in Oklahoma. The last couple of years, Texas hunting has picked back up again, and we're hunting both in Texas and in Oklahoma, and that it's not going to change. Right. This year, Texas ought to be great again. We got water. We got peanut. It should be a great year in Texas, and Oklahoma should be great also. We got plenty of food. We got water. It's going to be an early winter. We're going to have a lot of ducks, and that's the advantage to coming to Oklahoma is shooting field mallards while you're goose hunting. Unless you're that one asshole that bitches because it was 85 degrees all last year during the winter time in December before Christmas, but it is what it is. But that is why we started going to Oklahoma. The hunting got harder in Texas, and the birds there was less birds, and we moved to go to where birds are. Way less birds. And we moved up there, and now our bird population in Texas is in the last three years. It's well, the last two years it's gotten better every year, and this year ought to be a another great year but they're also not getting banged here like they were no in 2008 9 10 because there was us there was one two three full-time outfitters we were running three groups a day four or five yeah probably about five groups a day we were running four or five groups a day one of the others was running three or four groups a day the other was running three or four groups a day and the other uh there was was 15 spreads a day put up here so basically and you know they were just getting getting the fuck banged out of them well you know fast forward eight years nine years whatever it is and there's just basically two others that are still standing so the the bird had the bird population has gotten better here but it's also you know the the hunter the number of hunters that are ran in our area has kind of leveled out the hunting dynamics are completely different than what it used to be like so you know the birds that we have here, we kind of got it figured out to where we're, we're managing our resources a little bit better. Yes. So. I think Luke is probably the only guy that ever came here that wasn't just knocked down by the number of birds that we had here because he lived in Great Bend. In Kansas. And Quivera and Cheyenne Bottoms. And he said they're not seeing the Canadas like they, like they used to. I think to. a lot of their birds have moved towards Wichita, Kansas. Right. I had a kid from Kansas, a younger guy that's just gotten in the guiding business, been in there a couple of years, and he messaged me. Then he called me the other day, and he asked me, he goes, what do you think is going to happen this winter? I said, I don't know. I said, they're calling for the worst winter we've had in 40 years. I said, I don't know if they'll be tr- that that's true. Nobody knows for sure. He goes, what do you think it'll do for us? I said, I don't know. I said, I do know this. About 10 years ago, they had a big winter hit in Great Bend, because we talked about putting a lodge in Great Bend about 10 years ago. Yes. We come down to going up there looking for some land. I mean, it was a serious deal. And I was going to wait that one season and go up there and look around and really get a feel for where the birds were and work it. Because after you've been in the hunting business a while, and, I, and I've told some guys this, that the last couple of years have started their own businesses at different places, I said, you need to find a safe place. And they'll be like, what's a safe place? You need to have a field that no matter what the weather's like, or no matter what happens, if you don't have a field, it's somewhere by a roost where you're going to get traffic and have a chance to kill birds every single day right. that you can get in. Because if we had, if we got a 10-inch rain or snow one night and we couldn't get into a place, we at least got a place we can a bailout field we can go to at all times. And in Texas we have that, and in Oklahoma we have that. And you need to have one of those. You may not shoot a limit, but you can kill birds every You'll single day birds. there. Yes, and you have an opportunity. And... So I went up there to look around and stuff. Well, that year I went up there, we got a freeze about the 1st of December, a major cold front, and they locked up, and most of their birds left that month that from Kansas. Mm-hmm. It was a hard, hard, hard freeze, and, you know, unless you had an ice eater, you were going to lose all your birds. So I told him, I said, it could be like that. He goes, God dang, what are we going to do? I said, I don't have a clue. 
You fucked. You know, I've seen it freeze up in Oklahoma and change birds around. In Texas, it doesn't happen here as much. But you get up into Kansas, and we get a hard, 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 nasty winter. And these guys that have been in the outfitting business for five or six years, they haven't had that. We have, you know, they've had a day or two like that. Yeah. But we haven't had a long 30 day cold stretch like we used to have a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear dad talk about it in 1983 here. We froze up in Texas on Thanksgiving Day. And we didn't get above freezing until New Year's, the second day in January. Yep. Not one day. It was below freezing for 30-something days straight. Well, you imagine what would have happened in Kansas then. I hope we see it this year. Yeah, I do too. Now, I, I don't want to wish any bad no, luck no, no. on those I, guys. I'm not wishing, but, no. but we need a winter like that, and they need a good winter too. Selfishly, I'm wishing yeah. I'm wishing this because we, we, we'll slap the piss out of them. We need the birds pushed out of the Dakotas, and that hadn't happened <laughs> in a long time. And we need snow, and that hadn't happened. But that used to be the normal winter. And and I think that's why you're seeing more of these outfitters in Nebraska and Kansas is because we haven't had winters like that no more. Right. You know, a long time ago, Ron Winnicky used to tell me all the time on the Platte River it would freeze up. Mm-hmm. And between Thanksgiving and Christmas, they'd have to get their hunting in because it was going to be over. Right. Because it was just a matter of time before it froze up and everything was out of that country. Mm. Crazy. You know, you go to Saskatchewan the last couple of years, and there's been geese and ducks still there in December and January. Mm-hmm. Well, you go back 15 years ago, and that was unheard of. It was a, just a solid white mess, you know. There was it was, and that was it. So, hopefully, hopefully, this is the year. It's looking like we're going to have some winter this year. Uh, switch topics. What do you think about the guy shot the family full of baboons? <laughs> we're we're we're, okay. we're getting ready to maybe piss some people off. The guy that shot the baboons. Did you see he stepped down today? No, but I knew he was going to have to. He's, what, Fish and Wildlife in Idaho? Idaho, you Fish and Wildlife. A good friend of mine is friends with him because he messaged me on it. He says he's a good guy. Just a dumb, stupid deal. Here's and the thing. If you what, was, what happened? He sho- For people that don't know, what happened? Guy was on a safari in Africa. He shot a lion, a kudu, a giraffe. I don't know what all he shot. Then he shot four baboons, a family of baboons. A, f- a whole family of baboons. And then he took a picture of them posing, sitting around him like they were his kids. Oh, they! I uh, didn't see oh, that. Oh, yeah, they were all like sitting around him, and he's got like his arms behind him and uh, stuff. I just saw, the one picture that I saw, he's like holding the head of a baboon up. No, he had, there like four of them had him posing. I didn't see I don't that. think they had a cigarette in one of them's mouth, but God just, okay, then, just yeah. a picture okay. of them is the picture I saw. Sure. He sent an email to 100 people, and he said, I killed a giraffe, I killed a lion, and I shot a whole family of baboons. Why he put a family of baboons? I have no idea. As a could have said he he could have said he just shot four baboons. I shot four, and that would have been the end of it. There right. would have been nothing said about it. Right. But the people now, the liberals now, are going to raise hell about this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look good. Here, here's my deal. I made a Facebook post about this. I don't care what the guy did. I don't care what he killed. It was legal. What he did was not illegal. Right. But it's stupid to make hunters look that way. And we were battling this. And one guy disagreed with me. He said, I bullshit. He had the right to do that. He did have a right. He 100% was in his rights. But it makes hunters look bad. And we don't need the negative press. No. We don't. It's just like we talked about the other day. When you got birds crappie flopping. And, and, and I saw a guy the other day was holding up a freaking green wing teal in his hand. He had two green wing teal. And they were both alive. Had been hurt. He just told them, what the fuck are you getting out of that? You yeah. know? That don't make us look good. If you want to show a picture of a dead bird, I'm good with that. But don't. Don't show an animal suffering or, or alive still because that animal sucks. you imagine that, that animal is alive, living right there, and you're holding it and you're going to kill it in a minute, and everybody knows that. Right. You don't, they don't want to see that shit, but the baboons was 
in poor taste to put a picture up like that and then to put I killed a whole family of four was dumb. If he just said he killed four baboons, there would have been nothing said. And I'm trying to I'm trying to find the pictures. As as hunters, we need to um, we 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 need to fix the the way we're, we're people look at us in public because we are losing hunters. Right, quickly. I, I fucking misspelled baboon. I mean, they do it all the time. They they I mean, we we as hunters do not need anything any negative press. I'm in the hunting business, and so I'm telling you. It, you deal with it every single day. I've got every day I could get a phone call from some anti-hunting prick, and I really don't give a shit what they do. If they want to come and they want to march, I had people one time was going to do that, march on me. Then another t- comment, I made a comment about Jesse Jackson, and they said, oh, we're going to get the Rainbow Coalition. Bring his ass on. If I can march all day you want to, I can use the press. Fucking hope Fox News and CNN comes up here. But when it comes to the anti-hunter, they're trying to shut down hunting. They're not trying to make you look bad. They're trying to shut down hunting. And there's nothing that's good going to come of that. So don't don't put it out there. So do you think do you think that babo- you think that you know baboons kind of resemble humans in a way that that's why they're cuz no if yes, I if, do. If you were to say, "Hey, I shot I shot this family group of Canada geese." No, nobody can Nobody gives a shit no. cuz Canada geese shit on your on your windshield. <laughs> People, well, I'm working on a slippery slope here. Well, people I, relate those baboons to somebody they know. Yes. Well, I, I didn't mean that. I just meant they're kind of. Yes, that is. But I mean, they're I'm, a little human-like, and yes. I mean, there's a lot of people that believe we evolved from apes. Yeah. Um, so they're yeah, and there's people chuckling their ass fucker, off right these, now. These baboons, they were in their Stone Age. Yeah, I mean that's right. Another fifteen thousand <laughs> years, and we're looking at a completely different species. Uh we are walking down a slippery slope right here. That's, but, all, right. That's all right. But yes. Um, he was within his rights. Yes, he's legal. But free, uh, And I've said this before. He had the right to post the picture. It's his social media account. But freedom of speech is not free, freedom of consequences. And he posted it. Now it looks like it was in poor taste, so he's dealing with the consequences. I, I don't know that the guy deserved to lose his job but he resigned if you wasn't fired i mean if you're on the idaho fired if you're on the idaho commission of game and fish you you there's just some things you can and cannot do if you're in the public eye uh, or a public figure yes. working for the government doing something that's with doing fish something and game, like this but you know what? He could have lost his job for taking a picture of a fucking giraffe because the lunatic liberals. I mean, there's no telling. Right. But I think the the baboon crossed the line. I think if he had just said, I shot for And then when he emailed pictures of it everywhere, one of his friends that he sent that to is the one that leaked it, I'm sure. Right. And that's who caused this whole fucking deal. What do you think? Where do you stand on, on like, like this? They're calling it trophy hunting. Ban on trophy hunting. That's stupid. Those people in Africa, ask them people if they didn't want... If the people in Africa didn't want people coming over and shooting lions and rhinos and shit, they wouldn't have. They wouldn't let you do it. Right. Well, it would just be poached. You know, that's that's the argument. Well, no, well, it would be, but the people that are spending all the money over there wouldn't go over there to poach shit. Right. The people that go to Africa to hunt are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, that's probably a pretty close figure to go on a trophy hunt at their time you get your taxidermy work. But those villages, if someone shoots an elephant. Now, I don't know why anybody would want to shoot an elephant, but that's someone has it right. I don't, it just doesn't, none of the, shooting anything in Africa, there's nothing in Africa I want to kill. There's a time I would have loved to go to Africa and take pictures. 
Mm-hmm. But to go to Africa to shoot shit does not it doesn't excite me at all. But to each his own. It's legal, and they have that right. But those, if someone goes over and shoots an elephant, that elephant can probably feed a village for a week or two or three. I don't know how big a village is and how many people they eat. I mean, what they eat. But that elephant is a food source for them. That baboons, that rhino, those people eat that stuff. They need that food. But they also need the money those hunters provide. And, and that guy that goes over on a hunt that's spending $100,000, they got guys that are trackers. They got people cleaning rooms. They got people cooking. They, they provide a lot of jobs to little villages. But there, there aren't any other jobs. It's an economic. It, it would be devastating for the economy of those sub-Saharan continents. Mm-hmm. And I don't know shit about Africa other than it's a cesspool, most of it. I mean, people don't have electricity. They ain't got running water. You see pictures of kids starving with flies all over them and stuff. It's a nasty place. Who was the guy that shot the, the lion? I was a dentist from Minnesota, I think. He had to quit too, didn't he? I what, what did they, what did they ever do with that? I don't think he did. He poach his though, or did he I, shoot his I, legal? Well, who was it? Was it, not Harambe. Harambe. No, Harambe was the gorilla that got shot at the Cincinnati Zoo. R.I.P. What the fuck was that lion's name? Cecil. Cecil. I think yeah. I think I think they found out Cecil was or it was on a like a refuge. Yeah, but shit, that's the difference in shooting a high fence deer. I think he was protected. Oh, well, if, if he did something illegal, he should right, be in trouble. Right, and I think that's why he did get in trouble. But this guy did everything legal. What about Kendall Jones? Yeah, I don't know. She's making damn good money selling shit on the Internet. So yeah, she she's She's taking her. Best thing that ever happened to her. Yeah. Um, You know, I think the guy had a right to do what he did, but I think it was it was stupid of him to, and I'm fine with him posting pictures. But queued up the language a little bit. Don't don't say, "Hey, I, I just wiped out a whole family, family or tribe or whatever you know, family of baboons." Because people are going to relate that to motherfucker. You just killed, you know, this this. You killed the Smith family. You killed the Smith family. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that that's just in our minds. Whenever you put those words together, that's where everybody goes. And the liberals are already not thinking straight. So that's you know, that's really where they go. But when- it just. Every picture that I post to social media, I think of the backlash. So whenever I post something, a picture, it can be a pin tail, it can be whatever. But if I'm posting something with dead animals in front of me or in my hands, I try to make it tasteful, number one, and I try to um, maybe give a little backstory. Like there's a, there's a picture that I posted last year. I've got a beautiful pin tail in my hands. And I talk about, you know, what it means to, to get that pin tail. Whenever you post a picture of just slaughtering a whole family of baboons, you seem kind of like this mindless, bloodthirsty creature. And it's a tough sell. When I post shit on social media, I'm usually being an asshole. And I say a lot of shit I probably shouldn't say. But that's just me. Yeah, but you don't, you don't post anything in bad taste. Try not to. But I'm sure I have a few times. But, but I feel for the guy. Oh, I, I just but you you got to be smart about that kind of stuff. It's but, just it's especially if if you know, as a hunter, you've got the the targets on your back, and people are uneducated, and there's no other way around it. You got to deal with it. There's no 
it's a it's a stack deck against hunters. You got to recognize that whenever you're going to put anything on social media because it can be taken out of context and it can blow up and it can ruin your life. Well, I'll give you I don't know if it's an example, just another thought on this. When when I go into a room that's got a bunch of mounts in it and I, and I've been to some houses I've been invited to that's got trophy rooms and they got freaking elephants and giraffes and all that shit. And I say shit in a, in a respectful way. I'm not impressed by that because I don't, to me, I don't relate to it as a game animal. Right. I relate to it as a zoo animal still, even because I've never been to Africa and seen mm-hmm. them running wild. Mm-hmm. But when I go into a room like Pat Pitt's trophy room and I see all those ducks and geese, that excites me because I know what, what you know, it, it means something to me. When I walk in this dining hall, and we got 200 mounts in our mount, our dining hall. We've got every kind of species of duck in just about in our area that we well every duck around here that's been shot. We got some trophy birds that are hybrids. We got birds hanging off the ceilings, off the walls. We got pigs, some deer and stuff. But I, I like everything here because I appreciate it. So if I went to a place they had this, that's what I notice. Yeah. But if I go like Cabela's, when I go in Cabela's, and they've got the deal with all the elephants and all that stuff, I don't get excited about that. But I enjoy looking at the bears. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never shot a bear, but I know I, I can relate to the bear. Right. I can't relate to a rhino or a giraffe or an elephant. And I just, it just, it's, it seems like it's a zoo animal to me. And so I think a lot of people, the anti-hunters, they don't get as worked up over seeing a dead deer or an elk or a duck or a goose because they see them in their lifetime somewhere. Right. But when they see an elephant being shot or a giraffe, all they think of is the fucking zoo. Yeah. I just fed him. Yes, that's exactly what, you know, that's, that's what, been to Arbuckle Wilderness and he ate some mm-hmm. popcorn outside the roof of my car as I held it up for him. That's what people relate to. Yeah. They don't relate to it as an animal like we do, the, the, the ones we're around all the time. This is something we could have talked about on the social media podcast. Whenever you're going to post, be smart about what you're posting. Don't, don't, you know, personify yourself as just some mindless killer. And every three months or four months, something happens. Somebody takes a picture in Africa, and it goes viral, and people race hell about it. Yep. And I see some of the stuff on there. I read some comments on, like, I don't know if it's fucking CNN or somebody had a picture of him. With I think his, Piers made a made a post. Yeah, about and then people were just like, oh, that son of a bitch. I wish I knew where he was at. I'd cut out his liver and blah, 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 blah. And while we're talking about social media, I want everybody to go to my Facebook, Jeff L. Stanfield, and look up the video I put of the douchebag in New York City making fun of the lady whose husband was killed at 911 that's a cop. Did you see just a little bit after that somebody confronts him about it? No, I did not see that. Fucker ran as fast as he His could. name is uh Charlie Wilkes, he's a skater. Oh, Ricky Gervais is the one that made the comment, not Piers. Sorry. But uh my apologies to Piers. But the guy's name is uh let me see I had it earlier. Yeah, somebody confronted him and said, "Hey, uh I heard you talking shit." And that motherfucker could not get away from that guy fast enough. Yeah, his name's Charlie Wilkins. He's from Portland or from Boston. He lives in Portland. And he is a skateboard guy. Brian Sullivan tagged me on it, who he is and stuff. And his girlfriend owns a um, jewelry store or works at one called, uh, I looked it up earlier. Anyways, you can look him up. His, his, his uh, God dang it, his Instagram is... Trying to find out if I can find his damn Instagram again. Is Charlie Wilkes Skates. Hmm. And you can look him up on Instagram. 
and I'm gonna send his I'm gonna send his girlfriend a video of him acting like an ass and see if she knows about it. That he fucking pisses me off. Somebody should have beat his ass right there. That guy was trying to. You make fun of a widow of a policeman that died in 9-11 and then said, good, I hope good. he suffered and yeah. rots in hell and all this shit to her. All because she all because she didn't fucking line up with him politically. Yeah. That's the only fucking reason. Yeah. You know what? This, this country has been split up close to 50% every fucking election. Pretty close. 55, 45, but always within that that little margin. So to act like now that Trump is elected and one person agrees and, and the other, not quite the other one, disagrees is just fucking asinine. Well, I think he was bitching at her because she, he wanted her to walk across the street and she wasn't walking because it gave a red light. I think that's what started the whole thing. But and she's wearing she's wearing political. She had a 911 hat on. Yeah. And he started to say something, and she said, "My." he goes, your boyfriend or your husband? And she said... I'm not going to beat you like your husband does. Yeah. She goes, my husband died in 9-11. He was a New York City police officer. Well, good. I hope he did. I hope he rots in hell, that maggot or some shit, he said. But to act like just now, you know, all of a sudden this country is divided politically. Well, guess what, motherfucker? Every election has come down razor thin. Yep. And we've never seen this amount of vitriol. Well, I'm going to tell you also... That if he would have done that shit in Fort Worth, Texas, he got his, he'd ass, got his ass whooped big time. Now in New York City, it didn't surprise me that nobody stepped up. The one guy did. Well, there, there, then there's a lot of good guys in New York. I'm not knocking that, but the percentage of guys that'll stand up, people ignore shit. Now in Dallas, Texas, you might get by with that shit too, and they might not do nothing. Austin, Texas, I'd say you got a good chance of nobody saying shit to you. Mm-hmm. But in Fort Worth, Texas, you're gonna get your ass whooped. You go to Abilene or Wichita Falls, you get your ass whooped big time. He's just a piece of shit. You come Knox City, and you'll never leave. You never leave town. Probably people keep whooping your ass. I just don't understand how. I don't. I can't imagine. Even if it would have been, I can't stand Jesse Jackson. Mm-hmm. Cannot stand him. Him and Al Sharpton both. They're race baiters. They're pieces of shit. I mean, there's nothing good about either one of them. Matter of fact, Jesse Jackson just won an NAACP award that Donald Trump won not long ago. Also, yeah. But if Jesse Jackson. Something happened to him, and some guy and his widow was standing on the corner, and some guy was bad mouthing him. I'd say, "Hey, you know, have a little bit of respect. No matter what it is, yeah, just be respectful." You know. And what's so crazy is two thousand two thousand one two thousand two. Not that long ago, seventeen years, sixteen years. Everybody that died in that event was regarded as a hero, and nobody would have ever said anything bad about. Not even you know. They could have been the guy could have been not using this guy this this person as an example, but you know the day before nine eleven some of those guys could have been a lowdown or whatever, but they all stepped up and they died in this event and they're heroes. Yep. No matter what they did before, they're heroes. And to think that we have devolved as a country to sixteen years later, seventeen years later, this is what we're talking. This is how we're talking about guys that that gave their life and and America's worst tragedy. This is the respect that we're giving them now, just 16 years removed from this? How long was it, you know, when did, did we ever talk bad about guys that died at Pearl Harbor? No. Guarantee it wasn't fucking 16 years later. No, you wouldn't. Fuck, I did. We, we, we elected a Muslim sympathizer seven years after all that shit, so what do you expect? ADD. Liberals. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. We don't have no liberals listening to us anyways. So we're, we're done with this conversation. They're all Beto voters. All right, y'all. I appreciate everybody coming in. I'm on the... I'm working with getting the deal for Clay Reed's thing up. I've got to talk to the actual ministry and talk to the head guy there. Uh, 
we are giving a father-son goose hunt away for December 20th and 21st. We'll have something on it next week up on that. It's going to be a November deal. We'll give it away like the first week of December or something. Uh, once again, our prayers out to the Poppy family. Yes. Thank you so much. They need for, all they can get. Yep. Thank you so much for everything. Y'all. Uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate it very much. God bless you. Have a great, great, great weekend. Uh, thank you and God bless you. Thank <laughs> you.